Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Allison DeAngelis. I'm a very sleepy Adam Feuerstein. <laughs> and I'm Damian Garnett. It's Thursday, January 11th. Damian has injured himself, <laughs> but we're going to power through and here's what we're going to talk about. So this is a little bit of a different podcast. We are recording on the scene of the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference, also known as JPM Week out here in San Francisco, where a spate of deals and some intermittent sunshine seem to have brightened the outlook for biotech at the outset of 2024. So we're going to discuss some of the major stories coming out of healthcare's biggest investor conference. That after a word from our sponsor. I'm Tori Bosch, editor of Stats First Opinion column and host of the First Opinion podcast. And I'm Jesse McQuarters, editor of Stat Brand Studio. We're excited that Stat is launching a brand new community only for our subscribers called Stat Plus Connect. It's an online home for discussion, news, job postings, workshops, and more, all centered around the life sciences and biomedical research. It's also a chance to peek behind the curtain at Stat and interact with our writers and staff. You know, the people that really bring our great journalism and content to you every day. And in fact, I made a course on how to crack first opinion. I lay out the kinds of essays I'm looking for, my editorial process, some writing tips, and much more. And I actually made one about Stat Brand Studio, sharing a little bit about what the heck a brand studio is in the first place, but also some of the things we do to bring the content of our marketing partners to life. You know, it sounds like I'm going to have to hop on to take your course. And Tori, yours sounds amazing. So I'm going to definitely check out yours at connect.statnews.com. Well, fantastic. I'll see you on Stat Plus Connect. So guys, how are we feeling? We're recording this on a Wednesday. We should let people know. We usually record on Thursdays. Um, but we've all been here, what, four days? So we've been working four days nonstop, long hours. Yeah. Um, how's everybody? How's everybody holding up? Someone did ask me this morning, follow up from a previous episode, um, if I had gotten stat to expense any um, IV drips to mm. replenish me. Like uh, vitamin B or something? Something like that. As of right now, I have not yet used one, but we'll see what happens. There's, as you point out, Adam, it's still Wednesday for us, so we still have about half a day of the conference. We, ahead we are of us. mainlining coffee at this point. Damien, how are you doing? Well, I did want to clarify that the aforementioned injury is superficial and it is on my <laughs> hand and I'm tending to it and I don't think that it will affect my performance on this podcast. But no, I'm fine. It's been, uh, for me, I skipped last year's JP Morgan, which was the first in-person incarnation after a two-year hiatus of human interaction for this conference brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, it really hasn't changed. I, I kind of expected to have more epiphanies and make a realization of either I love it here or I hate it here. But in fact, I just kind of clicked into the groove because it's always sort of the same. So one of the things that everyone likes to talk about uh, at this meeting, when you go to all your parties and, and your meetings, whatever, um, everyone has, well, what's the mood, right? The everyone, mood? Yeah. it's kind of the big thing. It's like, what's the mood? I mean, so, it's the beginning of January. This is the start of our year. And I, and I feel like the mood is good. It is. Positive. Jubilant. Do you guys agree with that? I don't know if I would go so far to say jubilant, but <laughs> okay. no, definitely from pretty much every conversation that I've been having in and around the conference, I think everybody coming off of really a, a bullweather, you know, December and, uh, you know, starting the conference with some acquisitions, people are kind of thinking, hey, I think the worst might be behind us. 
I think it also helps that for some reason this year, just like the heavens have opened up and we've actually had sunshine, um, which has greatly improved people's general moods. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the it feels like both with this J.P. Morgan and J.P. Morgan's past, the perception of mood is dictated by the number of deals proximate to the meeting itself, which is kind of arbitrary. Like there's mm-hmm. 365 days in the year and whether something takes place on the week that everybody is blotting out the streets of San Francisco is probably irrelevant mm-hmm. as to what it means. But that being said, I am now going to fall prey to the thing that I just dismissed. But that being said, um, a few of the deals this week, I think, were reasons for optimism for sort of more complicated ways. One of mm. which, were, or the I should say, the acquisitions of a company called Ambrix by Johnson & Johnson and a company called Harpoon Therapeutics by Merck, which were relatively small deals and kind of quotidian, however. But I think it's important to note that both of those companies in the past 14 months were penny stocks mm-hmm. and faced like delisting risks from the NASDAQ. And I think what that gets to is during the long downturn in biotech that may or may not be over, depending on whom you ask, I think there was a sort of ambient paranoia that what if it's not a downturn? What if this is just the new normal? And all these penny stocks are not going to come back. They're just going to go out of business or become reverse merger candidates. So now that we're on the other side of that, and there are, granted, anecdotal, but there's this evidence that some of the companies that nearly didn't make it out of the downturn are now acquisition targets by major pharmaceutical companies. Mm-hmm. I think that is like a positive read through into the future. It's, it's part of the feel good story. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and then there was one deal which was kind of expected, which didn't happen, although we had the rumor of the deal happening, courtesy of our colleagues, or well, our reporting brethren at the Wall Street Journal who reported that Novartis looks like it's circling around uh, cytokinetics. And so that would be a kind of a big, much bigger deal and one that would get a lot of people excited. And we had a Monday at shortly before midnight. I was at a party, you know, Monday after the first day of the conference when we had yet another deal announced. Uh, I believe GlaxoSmithKline uh, acquiring the company, and I'm going to mispronounce the name, Ilos Therapeutics, which is a startup that had only launched earlier this year, just a few few months ago, earlier last year, I should say, uh, had launched in the second half of 2023, was um, developing spin-out candidates from pharma, has now been acquired. So had, I think this might be one of the first years, if not the first year, that we've had a uh, late-night acquisition offer come in after the conference has already started. So there was certainly traction. So um, I, we should maybe do like a count of like how many meetings we had, but I might have had the earliest meeting of the three of us, um, Monday morning, <laughs> 6.30 a.m. It was still dark out. You're a masochist. Um, I traveled down to the Four Seasons Hotel and met with Eric Tokat, who is uh, an investment banker, uh, partner, uh, co- actually co-president of Centerview Partners, which is, uh, you know, kind of the, uh, I don't know, the investment bank of the moment. This sort of like every deal that is done in biotech these days uh, seems to involve uh, Centerview uh, and Eric and, and his partners there. Um, they are doing many, many, many of these deals representing the sellers. Um, and so I was able to sit down with them for almost an hour and had, had a great conversation with them and some coffee. That's a way of kind of propping that up. I mean, you might be kind of underselling it. 
Eric has become sort of a figure of fascination. Uh, one, because he, he isn't that public facing. He doesn't do a lot of, if not any, interviews that I had seen before this. But he ends interview, but he has a Twitter account, or rather an X.com account. And so it has become sort of a tradition, especially in recent weeks and months with how many deals there have been done in this industry, to wait for the Eric tweet in which <laughs> after the announcement of whatever merger, he will post, Centerview Partners acted as advisor to, and it's usually right. the company being acquired. And so he built up this kind of persona as this ubiquitous but also kind of unknowable quantity who was apparently pulling the strings behind everything that happened in biotech. So that as a foreground to what was it like to sit down with him? Yeah, well, first of all, just to give you a sense of how many deals are doing. So last year, of the 23 biopharma M&A deals that were greater than $1 billion, they were involved in 19 of them. Wow. Um, and then the aforementioned Harpoon uh, and Ambrix deals that were announced on Monday, uh, Centerview also handled those two deals. So they, they're actually off to a pretty good start in 2024. Yeah, it was really great to meet him. Um, like you said, I, I sort of got to know him, at least, you know, from his Twitter. You know, you see his tweets. I mean, they've become sort of ubiquitous because see, they're doing all these deals. Um, so we talked a lot about, you know, what the outlook was for M&A. And I, I reminded him that about a year ago, he had predicted a very bullish M&A season for 2023, which turned out to be true. He's also pretty bullish. He thinks there's going to be a lot of deals in 2024. They may not be as many deals as there were in 2023, but he thinks it will be on par. And the thing the thing that's funny about, not funny, but when Eric Tokat tells you that there's going to be a lot of M&A, there will be a lot of M&A because the guy is doing all the deals. He's got like perfect information. Um, you know, he knows what uh, the pharma companies are looking at. He knows he's representing a lot of the companies and his partners are representing a lot of the companies that are that are that are going to be sold. So um, I think it's pretty I would say that, you know, yeah, we're going to have a really good year for M&A in 2024. How, did you get a sense of how Eric Tokat became this like man pulling the strings behind <laughs> biopharma M&A from your conversation with him? I mean, I talked to some uh, I talked to some CEOs who have worked with him, who, you know, he has represented, advised and to sell companies. And, you know, people just say he's he's just that he takes his long term view. Um, he, he, he looks at these kind of relationships as as relationships. It's not um, not very transactional. Um, he gets into companies early. He develops relationships. He advises them. And sometimes the advice that he gives is don't do a deal. Um, and so I think people really uh, appreciate that. And, he, you know, he's just and I think he's well respected across the board. Everyone that I spoke to just spoke incredibly highly of him, uh, his integrity, his work ethic, the way he the way he conducts negotiations. Um, it's not a, you know, we win, you lose type of a scenario. So I think that's probably why he, you know, and just, you know, Centerview in general. I mean, like, again, you know, Eric is not Centerview, but there's a lot of people who work there and they do a lot of deals. So. We were all kind of mixing and mingling uh, in and around Union Square this year. Our colleague, Matthew Herper, was actually in the Westin. And one of the presentations that he sat in on, um, and I had gotten a little bit of a preview on last week, uh, NVIDIA, this really this this chip maker tech company. What's the, that, the CEO's name? Jensen Wang? Right? That's right. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Leather, a natty leather jacket on leather black jacket. Yeah. yeah. Which I mean, to be honest, did any of you guys have any uh, like idea of who Nvidia was this time last year? <laughs> well, just because they're sort of ubiquitous these days with AI, they're like close so associated with AI, and they're like a trillion dollar company now. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting. I looked. You know, they 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 presented at J.P. Morgan last year yes, on they did. the last day, yeah. which is the day that nobody attends because it's <laughs> the, it's the flyaway <laughs> day, right? Exactly. And so 
that was last year. And then this year they presented on the Monday, which is kind of the high profile day. Mm -hmm. Right. And that there were 1960s Ed Sullivan show levels of overcrowding at the presentation, which is interesting. I mean, it's indicative of one, as you mentioned, Adam, they've reached this trillion dollar valuation. They make basically like the picks and shovels of the gold rush for AI. They make the chips that are apparently necessary to do the sort of computing that is required uh, by these technologies that are so breathlessly described and hyped to us uh, in every field. And now among those fields is biotech. And it's interesting because the text of the presentation was very much biology has reached this inflection point where it's like technology and you could do these stepwise uh, changes in engineering the same way you could with just making microchips smaller. We've heard, we as in like the human race have heard that many times. I remember 10 years ago at this conference, people talked about big data in this way. I haven't heard the phrase big data in a long time. I guess it's all kind of Bring collapsed into one data. thing. Yeah, where, where has it gone? But, and I don't say that to, to cast doubt on what NVIDIA is promising, but I think what's striking is that the, the crowds that it drew and just the seeming buy-in from the kind of hoi polloi of JP Morgan that maybe this time it is true. But as Matt pointed out in his coverage of it, um, there's a long history of seeming revolutions in technology that are meant to collapse the world of biology into something more predictable. And to date, biology remains unpredictable. I mean, the most half the presentations at this conference are companies trying to contextualize failures in which biology did something that they hadn't foreseen. Yeah. This year, not only did it in the last 12 months, does it seem like biotech has like bought into NVIDIA, but NVIDIA is also buying in to biotech. I, I've been noticing and I before the conference um, got to meet the head of N Ventures, which is NVIDIA's corporate venture arm, because they've started in the last six months investing in biotech startups, some of which they're not, you know, actively working with as development partners, but they have kind of an, an unlimited, undefined um, strategy for moving into biotech, but it's one of those those sectors that they plan on making big investments in in 2024 and beyond. So among the most discussed news out of JP Morgan was not in fact at JP Morgan at all, but rather took place about 50 yards behind where I'm sitting right now, which is a terrible cue for an audio only thing. But it what <laughs> took place in the uh, in the space where uh, Stat hosted an event on Monday and among the featured speakers was Peter Marks who is one of the highest ranking officials at the FDA and someone who presides over many things, but most relevant to this is the review of new gene therapies. And so as a backdrop, Peter Marks is a cornerstone figure in the saga of Sarepta Therapeutics, a company we've discussed on this podcast many times, for whom the sun always seems to be shining. Uh, and that definitely applies to what has taken place with their efforts to develop a gene therapy for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Um, they applied for accelerated approval. And, you know, Adam, as, as you and our colleague Jason Mast reported, Peter Marks' employees within the FDA were not particularly satisfied with the data that Sarepta presented. Peter Marks himself is over, overruled too strong a term, but disagreed. No. Well, disagreed and overruled. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's and so, accurate. And so Sareptis Therapy won that accelerated approval, and there was pending data, phase three confirmatory data on the horizon that would have presumably made or broken that accelerated approval. That data arrived, and the study missed its primary endpoint. Normally, primary endpoints pretty key uh, in declaring a study a success or a failure. And that, I think, is the backdrop, Adam, for your conversation with Peter Marks, and how did that go? Uh, well, you were there, Damien, oh, no. um, but no, it went really well. Um, you know, we we wanted to talk, and I wanted to ask him on stage just about his viewpoint on 
you know, on the approvability of gene therapies. And, and we've talked specifically about Sarepta. Now, um, given the fact that Sarepta has submitted its data from that study that you mentioned, uh, Damien, the confirmatory study, which did not achieve his primary open. So he was a little bit um, handcuffed by what he could say, because, you know, FDA just generally doesn't talk about review, active reviews. But um, I don't know if shocking is is the right way to describe it, but it may be surprisingly, he offered this sort of hypothetical um, example of, and, and he went on to say um, that, you know, if there is a study where, you know, sort of the data generally, generally points to a benefit for patients, um, and maybe, you know, the primary goal is not reached, um, but all the data sort of align in the right direction, that that is an approvable product. Um, I, and I think many of the other people in the room interpreted that comment from, from Peter Marks as basically suggesting that he would approve, you know, grant final approval uh, to Sarepta's gene therapy for Duchenne. Now, what form that final approval takes, uh, we're not entirely sure. It's a little bit complicated, but if you recall, uh, right now it's a, it's granted accelerated approval, uh, which is essentially a conditional approval for, for boys who are age four and five. Um, they're also, they want to expand that label to include boys four to seven years old. Um, and they also want to include boys who are already in wheelchairs, um, who have more advanced disease. Whether Sarepta gets everything that they want, we don't know. I, I, I sort of joked on stage that, you know, as you said, Damien, Sarepta does seem to get everything they want. I, I sort of likened, <laughs> I likened Sarepta to uh, the, the kid who plays soccer in a Brooklyn soccer league. And, you know, it doesn't really matter if you win because you get a participation trophy. You get a, you know, you get a trophy anyway. Um, I think Peter's, Peter's comment or his response to that was like, wow. Uh, but, you know, um, <laughs> You know, it does appear that they sort of they lead that Sarepta leads a charmed life when it comes to the FDA. I've been waiting to say this since this event Monday night. Um, roll clip. Oh. Wow. Oh, right. We. I'm sorry. I know I should have mentioned no, no, no. this. this. So is, we do I have just a clip. The clip. You have you rolled the clip. So we have a clip of what of Peter remarks Peter Marx's remarks. <laughs> so let's listen to that. But but um, but let, wait, wait, you know I can't. It's very uh, hard for me because we're in a, we're in a, this area. This is a weird. I know, weird, right? Yes. Because it, we're we have an application under consideration, so we really can't discuss that piece. But I can say this: I'm not going to lose. Let's talk about hypothesis. This is a, a, a wise attorney at FDA once told me how to do this, so mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. Okay. Uh oh, he's got he's got he's got lawyers' specific. advice. This is we're, not good we're for not us. Gonna, we're we're not going to talk about any specific product. Sure. But hypothetically, if you had a product that used an aggregate scale. And all of the components of that aggregate scale looked pretty good, or nearly all of them looked pretty good, but the aggregate, for various reasons, didn't come out perfectly. We, we approve products based on that. I, I can tell you from experience when I was in industry, um, there was a product called uh, Deferocerox, which is an oral iron chelator, which really failed. It really miserably failed its primary mm -hmm. endpoint, but it met every secondary endpoint. But, and but I, feel, I feel like with Sarepta, Sarepta is sort of like the kid who plays soccer in Brooklyn, that it doesn't matter if they win, they'll get a trophy anyway. Wow, and okay. So, you know, again, so as you heard, I mean, it just seems like, you know, and, and as, you know, that clip sort of went viral, well, I don't know if viral is the right word, but it sort of <laughs> got out there. Um, you know, we, it, was, uh, it was sent out and people were listening to it. And I think the sort of the collective um, interpretation of his marks was, you know, very favorable for the approval, the approval of, some of some type of Sarepta gene therapy and Sarepta stock, 
I think was mm-hmm. up like 15, 20%. Well, that's what's interesting is, as you mentioned, it reverberated around the room and then obviously further beyond the room because of the stock price reaction. And it seems reasonable that everyone who inferred, as you mentioned, that that this medicine will likely receive a larger approval. But then I saw people discussing what broader inferences one could make from that as well, because mm. Sarepta is not the only company kind of on these margins. As you mentioned, Adam, you know, specifically to Duchenne Muscular Dystrophy, Pfizer has a gene therapy of its own that is in development. If this precedent is, in fact, a precedent, it would suggest that regardless of what kind of data Pfizer gets out of that study, they should probably file it for approval. Yeah. And that's a that's a big issue and a big question, because, you know, you you kind of think of these things sort of as precedent setting. Um, And I did ask him. Right. I said, you know, it you know, is it now okay for companies to, you know, basically not achieve the primary endpoints of their of their studies. And, you know, of course he said, no, we, we obviously prefer that they do, but he also sort of opened this door to regulatory flexibility, which is like, I'm going to get a t-shirt made <laughs> regulatory flexibility <laughs> on it, because that's like, I feel like I, you know, in almost every story that I write when it comes to a gene therapy or any drug for rare disease, like that's the term that everyone throws around. Well, and it's a term that it becomes more and more impossible to define because it's something mm. you, I've never heard anyone rail against the concept of regulatory flexibility. It's simply the way that it's applied in any given instance. And what's interesting, I, I understand, I appreciated Peter Marks, you know, in his uh, remark or his answer to your question, describing basically that accelerated approval is a calculated risk the FDA is taking and is willing to take. Mm. That the majority, ideally, of the medicines to which they grant accelerated approval will in time prove to have been you know, meriting of larger approval, but it happened more quickly because they accelerated some percentage, you know, 5%, 10%. He was kind of ballparking this, but a minority of them may turn out not to work. And I think that's fair enough and it makes sense as a framework. But one thing I would be curious as to his thoughts on, especially, uh, you know, if it weren't in public and thus he could maybe really tell me what he thinks, is what about the other side of that? What about the business that exists around the precedents that the FDA sets? Because while the cause of regulatory flexibility makes sense, especially from the eyes of these patient groups, in many cases, these are diseases with no available therapies and which are death sentences, often affecting children. Great. But, well, that's not great, but in that case, it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Wednesday. Um, You made our producer laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Where I was going with that is, what the FDA does does not happen in a vacuum. Obviously, Peter Marks knows that. But if it seems like regulatory flexibility has reached a point where it becomes something more akin to a loophole that a profit-seeking company can take advantage of, then that 5 to 10% allowable error rate, if you will, um, in accelerated approval is likely to grow. Because right, David, you're gonna are get... you telling me that pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, give them an inch, they'll take a yard? Is that what you're telling it's me? It's been known to happen. Oh, my God, I'm shocked. <laughs> So uh, let's move over to Allison. Uh, you're sitting next to me to my left. Um, you had this plan at GPM. You were going to go to a lot of parties. And I think we joked about this the last, uh, our last episode at the yeah. end of the year where I said to you, yeah, skip all your meetings during the day and just <laughs> go to all the parties at night. Um, tell, us what your, tell us what your week was like. My week, <laughs> I think, so once again, to reiterate, we're, we're taping this uh, Wednesday. Uh, so I still have more parties ahead of me, but at so far, I think I'm at nine, if not 10 wow. parties attended. I did not uh, attend nine or 10 parties. <laughs> I haven't attended nine or 10 parties in my life to this point. <laughs> and it has been, I mean, it, it's funny because you do 
go to these parties and, and, and in many cases you often end up bumping into some of the same people and you end up comparing notes about like, well, who, whose party are you going to next? Where are you going to next? Oh, did you go to the Andreessen party that they had the, you know, the waffle bar? Oh, did you go to, you know, such and such place? Um, they had really good cocktails. Um, so there's that, that environment that kind of exists in the periphery of JP Morgan. Um, and in many ways, like fuels this, I think this conference, you know, for everyone attending outside of the Westin, which is the people in the Westin only make up actually a small fraction mm -hmm. of the people at JP Morgan. So I think, yeah, co cocktails and catered appetizers are the fuel of JPM. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, this year I did another uh, fuel of JPM is I ran into uh, one uh, venture capital firm that um, asked that I not use their name, but um, in lieu of trying to book like, you know, pay $400 an hour for like a table in a hotel lobby to have meetings or, you know, like get like three hotel suites and like spend, you know, a year's worth of salary <laughs> on that. Um, they rented a party bus and were actually like a, a, a small party bus and we're taking it. We're just driving, but they would pick up people for wow. their meetings and would just were driving around uh, San Francisco's Union Square. And in a couple cases, he told me, um, you know, they would they would like park for a while on the street and like a cop would tell them to move. So low tech, high tech. But actually, I think I would love to have a meeting where at J.P. Morgan, where I was picked up by the person I was meeting maybe that's with. next year. Maybe we can do the stat, the stat party, party meeting bus. bus. That is innovation. When you first said speaking of uh, the uh, fuel that runs JP Morgan and it was a VC who asked you not to lose their name. I thought you were going to get into like a young blood transfusion perhaps with something at one of the parties you went to. So <laughs> well, that will be in our um, party bus. We'll be doing that's, young that, blood. That happens at the after, after, after party. <laughs> that's the Wednesday Damien. night parties. Those are yeah. tonight's parties. <laughs> young blood infusions. Well, so as a dedicated party attendee, you are like page six correspondent of this mm -hmm. conference. Did any, what else stood out to you other than the many past apps and, and free drinks. <laughs> I mean, there was that, what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, that uh, kind of effervescence, you know, excitement around the industry. Um, it was fascinating. It's always fascinating to see like what VCs are at each other's parties. Mm. If you kind of read between the lines of um, press releases, you'll, you'll see the VCs that, that work together. Um, and a lot of those people you will see at the same parties. But every once in a while, there's a VC who you don't think has any relationship with another firm who shows up at a party. Some of these parties have been off the record, so I cannot discuss what happens behind closed doors. Um, <laughs> behind the velvet rope. <laughs> behind the velvet rope. Um, I think that uh, there, were, there were a couple instances where you saw people getting friendly that I would not have anticipated. Ooh. Got friendly. That'll be the app. That'll be the maybe if we ever do like an after hours podcast, we'll <laughs> talk about that. Read out loud after dark. He's getting friendly <laughs> for the right reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, I heard about a, you know, so a few VC firms that are getting up and running, raising new funds that will be coming in 2024. A few startups that um, are talking to pharma. They're having really interesting conversations this year with pharma. The neurospace, I mean, to, to go back to Sarepta, neurospace apparently is red hot with pharma this year. That is where a lot of their BD teams have been interested, this JP Morgan, that and metabolic conditions outside of obesity. So keep, keep our eyes open for news on that front in 2024. Well, I think talking about parties is a good way to end 
this podcast. Um, Allison, good luck tonight at the at your last parties. Thank you. That you'll be going to. So that does it for another episode of the Read Out Loud. Thank you to Teresa Gaffney for producing this week's episode, and a thanks to Jesse McQuarters for engineering this episode on site here at J.P. Morgan. Our senior producers are Hyacinth Empanado and Alyssa Ambrose. Our executive producer is Rick Burke, and our theme music is by Brian Joel. And we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you like about this week's episode, what you didn't like, and if you're at JPM, tell us a great story. You can do all that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. And if you like what we do, leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. Hopefully a little bit more rested. (laughs) 